I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to the Real Love Podcast Series, right here on the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This series features a variety of conversations with some of the world's finest teachers and thinkers, all exploring Sharon's new book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. Real Love is a field guide for anyone seeking awakened living in the 21st century. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalzberg.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please visit www.BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon. We mentioned last night that Sharon has a new book, Real Love. Actually, Sharon, one of the greatest things that that I have personally heard at these retreats was, uh, it was Duncan Trussell said to you, well, what's your daily practice? What do you do? And you you get to You said, I sit down. And get real. <laughs> I have never forgotten that. that. Yes, wow. you did. I'm really impressed. That's great. Wow. <laughs> and then you wrote Real Love right after that. All right. So <laughs> we're going to get real. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're going to talk a little bit because I fortunately have been able to, uh, Sharon, uh, got me the uh, manuscript that has just gone in to the, to the publisher. Um, and last night we also mentioned K.K. Shaw, who had Skyped Ramdas and I and others of us that were at the, house and, at the house, and he was so delighted with the theme of the retreat, finding the beloved, touching the compassionate heart. And 
I'd like to go on a little bit about, he said, well, you need to find out what is, what are you talking about? What is the beloved? And where is the beloved? And then the subsequently, how, how that relationship is, is nurtured. He didn't say it in those exact words. So I know, I, I just want to start with you because I know, I mean, for us, we were fortunate to have that living example of, of Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji showing us the beloved. And of course, a lot ensued after that, and Ramdas is going to talk about that. But I know that you had a very, very intimate, relate, close relationship with your teacher, Deepama. We would love to hear about that and some, some examples of the exchanges that you had to start with. That's a little bit of what the beloved is, I think. Okay. Um, well, uh, I mean, in some level, I think KK's questions are a lifetime exploration. There's no answer. Um, but when I think of the term, the beloved, um, I think about something, a person or a place or a situation or some inspiration that connects us to something so much bigger um, than our immediate circumstance. And so uh, maybe it's most graphic or intense in some ways when it's a person. Um, I just did a program in New York City um, with uh, this man named Randy Cohn who used to write the ethicist column in the New York Times, and now he has a new thing, which is like a radio thing where he asks people uh, to talk about a person, a place, and a thing <clears throat> because he feels people reveal more about themselves when they're actually not talking about themselves. So he asked, me, we had one brief phone conversation before the event, and he, he said, who's your person? So I said, this woman named Deepama. Um, so I'll actually talk about my person and my thing, which was the Statue of Liberty, um, because they're kind of similar to me in a lot of ways. So uh, Deepama, as some of you know, um, was a Bengali woman. Deepama is like a nickname, uh, Deepa's mother, and she had a life of tremendous uh, difficulty and sorrow and loss. And uh, she, for example, um, had three children and two of them died. And uh, she and her husband uh, were living in Burma at one point. He was in the civil service. And uh, they were very much in love, even though it had been an arranged marriage when she was like 12 years old or something. And uh, he wasn't feeling well one day, and he came home, and he died by that night. So she was completely grief-stricken and developed a heart condition and went to bed. She couldn't get out of bed. And the doctor came and said, you're actually going to die of a broken heart unless you do something about your mind. You should learn how to meditate. So she got out of bed. She still had Deepa, you know, to raise. And she got out of bed, and she went to the meditation center and when she emerged, it was somehow there had been just this development of this enormous compassion, enormous, like, for everybody, because she knew everybody's life can turn on a dime, you know, and it can look really different in, like, one phone call. And, and it was such a sense of love and compassion. I actually felt a little um, 
compassion for the person trying to write the, some of this one book about her called Deepama. Because unlike even Maharaji, where there's like a one-liner that just changes your life, like, um, you know, never throw anyone out of your heart or something like that. Uh, there really wasn't that with her. It was all about her presence. And so the woman who was trying to write the book kept hearing the same story, basically. I was a mess, and I was in India, and I went to see her, and then I felt so much better because <laughs> she was so loving, you know. Uh, but it was really completely about her presence. Um, and then my thing, being the Statue of Liberty, was, was uh, interesting because she is... Uh, the symbol of welcome, everybody's welcome. The people no one else wants. The people who've been rejected everywhere. They're welcome here, you know, because my heart is big enough to include rather than exclude whoever it might be. So I confessed on the phone to Randy before the event that I actually have a collection of like little green, you know, erasers and, you know, ashtrays, things that look like the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and he asked me to bring one, which I sort of did. <laughs> I brought a nice one. Um, but there's, you know, it, it's that just that sense of like, because it's not only them. It's not admiring a symbol like the Statue of Liberty or a person like Deepama. It's the reminder that, oh, maybe I can do that too. I can be that too. That's what's so uplifting. Can we translate that, Ramdas, to our, your experience with Maharaji, you know, related to that all-encompassing acceptance, unconditional love, no judgment, and how you talk about he obviously just saw us as souls and not the personalities that we were, like, in fear of knowing that he knew everything. Can you talk about that, that all-encompassing presence? Sharon talked about her presence in, in Trinjuan, turns her disciples on. Maharaji, very, very, very small words. Ramdas, love everybody. <laughs> so, now, when I came back from India, um, After about sixties, sixties, and I knew that I had this. I knew that I had in my heart, my mind, this being. This being, and I tried to convey all my lectures and all that stuff. And 
because I wanted people to know that that potentially we have we have that. I wanted to know that I wanted to know the bring back bring back the essence of him. I had a robe and beard and everything. Every my father came to the airplane. Get into the car before somebody sees you. <laughs> And that because Maharaji chose this cloud, and Maharaji chose my name, I conveyed that Maharaji is a special being. But the, this, uh, each of us is special. We have in heart any. We have the Atman, the God, Guru, and Self. We still don't realize it. I've we don't realize it. I was pushing Maharaji on the culture because here we have Lincoln and and Einstein and few pieces of these are our, our symbols of the, what we can, what we should be. Rather than Maharaji, and I, I came with a, like a jewel. And I shared the jewel. And we each got a little bit of it. That Maharaji exists. And I went to Maharaji and pulled along by Bhagwan Das. And he rushed up to Maharaji, and I protected the car, and I was self-righteous, 
Buddhism, Buddhist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got to the clearing. He's uh, he's answering questions. And I stayed back. I didn't, the, the whole thing looked like a cult. <laughs> Maharaji, and, uh, while I'm with him, and there was a like tsunami with, in Bangladesh, and a lot of trouble. And I very, I had me, I had, I had a Volkswagen bus and I thought I couldn't, they could use it as an ambulance. And I told Maharaji this, this plan. And, and I saw what, looking at her from the one's perception, He said that when all these people die, he said, this is perfect. Perfect. Perfect meant they, as souls, went on their, their trip of, of, in the universe. And I said that one woman came up to me last no, last uh, week. She was crying, and she said the, the political mess. And uh, she's. I said, it's perfect. Maharaji said it was perfect. I didn't say it. What wonderful uh, things are happening <laughs> for us to know our mind and our heart. That's what you need to know. And so many people love me. It's Maharaji. So many people open up in their hearts. Maharaji. And I go through the, the ego stuff. Oh, they, they're, they're honoring me. 
That's what I, I tell, tell you. Uh, that's the, the work, work. You get in your mind a thought, and it's, that thought is not going to get you there. In spirit, so you go down to the to those the heart. The heart is stepping, stepping stone to the to the soul. It goes down, and then you pierce the veil. This reality, and another reality, which. We, I call soul land. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and that, that, and that's your individual soul. It's a light being. And in that soul, there is a, a watcher. I, they watch your incarnation and your mind. And then from that vantage point, I look at that, look at that thought. Wow. Sirens and <laughs> blowing up and that. And what happens is because the witness is in the soul, you look at the, that thought. And you love it. You love your thoughts. And I, I used to get 
I love it to death. The reason it's love is you're, you're protecting your soul. Love, compassion, peace, nurture, protecting the soul, protecting the soul. Every time you have a negative Love it. Well, that's a good segue to Real Love, Sharon's book, and there's some things in it that I wanted to share and then have you expound upon. Um, I see real love as the most fundamental of our innate capacities, never destroyed no matter what he might have gone through or might yet go through. It may be buried, obscured from view, hard to find and hard to trust, but it is there. I'd like you to talk about that trust. It, it really relates with Ram Dass talking about the protecting of the soul through the action of love. Mm. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. I, I tend to think I realized of the were I to use the word soul um, of the soul protecting us, not we making the effort to protect the soul through. It was interesting. Flipping that. Um, it's, it's the soul protecting itself. Yeah. Thank you. I'll ponder that. <laughs> He's teasing me. I, I don't know if you caught the sardonic moments. <laughs> <laughs> because I really uh, have practiced in the Buddhist tradition where you don't use a term like soul and... Uh, so this has been a dialogue for about 45 years, <laughs> literally 45 years. Uh, this past January, we celebrated that anniversary of knowing each other, so that's the conversation. So he's teasing me when he, he says soul, and then he looks at me. Yeah. Are you doing okay with that word? <laughs> that's what's going on. And Raghu's right in the middle. <laughs> Um, well, I think um, maybe the closest in the Buddhist tradition is the sense of capacity. Um, I used the word ability last night because that's what was in the movie and because it also plays well with the end of my book, um, the new end of the book, but it's like a capacity, it's a potential. So uh, it, it really is believed that no matter what we may go through as a human being, as a personal history, no matter what we may have done as a human being or may yet do that, as a capacity, this is never destroyed. And so 
that in a way is why we practice. We have practices because it returns us to being in alignment with that potential or that capacity. And it also helps bring it to life and nourishes it and makes it real in, in all these different circumstances, not just a, a thought or, or something abstract that we, that we respect in an abstract way, but something that we're, we're really nourishing and living through. And so that is really the nature of, of practice. Um, in uh, Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text, the word that we translate as meditation is bhavana, B-H-A-V-A-N-I, and it literally means cultivation. So it's a sense of cultivating the ground or creating the conditions so that what we yearn for can emerge. Wisdom, understanding, love, compassion, connection, all of that can emerge because we've created the conditions. That's a little different than our normal, maybe more sort of acquisitive or grabby sense of... um, yeah. something we pursue. Like if I get a big insight by Saturday, I can go to the beach, you know, or whatever. But, um, you know, it's different. We're, cu- we're creating the conditions. We're cultivating the ground. And that implies a kind of patience even because you can't demand or insist that something bear fruit on our timetable, right? We're just doing what we need to do. So in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, some Tibetan Buddhist traditions, um, there's a really cute phrase that they use instead of cultivation. Uh, when we say meditation, they, they use this phrase, uh, getting used to it or getting familiarized with it. So getting used to it. And that, of course, brings up the question, well, what's it? So that's really based on a belief that um, as human beings with a human life, we have had these moments, all of us, pretty well, of profound connection and illumination and understanding and so on. And lots of things can bring us there. Great suffering can bring us there when everything else falls away or, uh, you know, art, all kinds of things can bring us there. But those moments in our lives tend to be very fleeting. It's not a place we live, right? We're not awfully used to it. And so we practice meditation not to... It's not an idea like you're starting from nothing, you know, and you're trying to get something, you've had these experiences. We have had these experiences, but it's so rare to find a being who lives there, right? And so what we're working with is a greater, almost like a greater continuity or frequency of returning um, to these places we have known. And so that too has a very different feeling tone than our normal, you know, like, uh, I mean, I was there. I remember when I first started practicing, I had this feeling like, you know, maybe someday I'll have a moment of mindfulness, you know, like like some far away day. Uh, but it's not like that. You go on to say... I believe, I believe there is only one kind of love. So this is where we want to get de- real defined. Real love. Real love. Trying to come alive in us despite our limiting assumptions, the distortions of our culture. There's a lot of those going on right now. 
and the habits of fear, self-condemnation, nation, and isolation we tend to acquire just by living a life. All of us have the capacity to experience real love. When we see love from this expanded perspective, we can find it in the smallest moments of connection, which is what you were just talking about, with a clerk in a grocery store, a child, a pet, a walk in the woods. We can find it within ourselves. Real love comes with a powerful recognition that we are fully alive and whole despite our wounds or our fears or our loneliness. It is a state where we allow ourselves to be seen clearly by ourselves and by others, and in turn we offer clear seeing to the world around us. It is a love that heals. So in, in this theme that we had put together, Finding the Beloved, Touching Compassionate Heart, we, we talked also about how these wounds and fears can provide a real ground for finding, and I think this uh, Jack uh, put it in these words, finding our greatest gifts. So can you ex- expand on that? Because that is totally relevant to what we are all going through collectively at this moment. How do we make that? jump. Well, first, Ramdas, would you call that a definition of coming from a soul place? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's like the good housekeeping seal of approval. Like, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's easy, like, exploring a topic like that to get very dualistic like oh that's stupid you know and this is pure and um but i i really didn't see it that way you know i do think every kind of yearning and and some some schools of you know uh even some schools of buddhism mostly you know in schools of hinduism they would say it's not the yearning that's the problem it's that we want so little or we settle for so little and our sense of what's possible so meager and, you know, and so we compromise so much, but it's like, take that yearning and run with it, you know, and, and expand your vision of what you are worth and what you're capable of feeling. And so it's something like that, you know, all those sputtering efforts we make to feel okay and feel a sense of belonging and feel a sense of home. It's like, if you take that feeling, but really look at, the myths we're given and what we're taught and the distortions that we uh, we take on. Like I've often said, as an example, um, I think in this country, and this is, you know, even before the election, um, you know, we we have a kind of predominant culture that teaches us that you will feel better about yourself by disparaging others. So the more you can put other people down, feel you're better, uh, then you'll be happy. But if we actually look at that state, it's a tremendously lonely state, and it's a, you know, it's a kind of brutal state because you're always comparing. There's always someone new to compare yourself to, and, and you don't get the joy of just connecting or helping somebody or letting them help you. I mean, it's just like, 
Um, you know, it's actually not that doesn't make for that much happiness when we really look, but we believe it. We're taught that, and entertainment is built on that, and uh, so many things are, are built on that. And um, you know, so one also one of the gifts I feel like meditation practices given me is the ability to kind of step back from a whole wealth of conditioning like that and say, really, you know, uh, is compassion really that weak and sort of uh, meek and mild and is uh, vengefulness really that strong? And, uh, you know, what about this and what about that? And so um, to be able to look at those states and then know for ourselves where where our greatest happiness lies, I think, is is a tremendous thing. And um, certainly when we have models, you know, we have that uh, loving figure. And uh, you feel you are revealed in front of them or you reveal yourself in front of them and they are still loving. Uh, that's a model, you know, of how we ourselves can be, but we ourselves can be that. Yeah, which is why I think it, it's it's really significant in terms of being fortunate to be with a, a human being that ha, is that living that potential, and um, so I, yeah. I just wanted to. It's and when I was with Maharaji, he blew my mind. That, that didn't matter. And then he loved me, and he loved me unconditionally. He was then he was sitting. He was sitting on his tucket, and I was sitting in the grass in front of him. And when I started to see, he reads my mind. That's that he had been, he'd done that. I, oh God! I, 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 he's gonna read. Oh God! <laughs> oh, oh! I was going about a list of about. Things you can't love me at all. And here he is, his, the mind reader is, is here. And so I looked up and he. He loved me. He loved me. He loved me fully. My my good points and bad points, things that I'm not lovable for. He, he, yeah, love. So. When I came to the West, he transferred his heart 
to my heart, or to spirit to spirit. And then I can met many people. And everybody starts with them. That's like the social action. He come from the heart. And you, I love you all. You know, Ramdas, you just said when he trans Maharaji transferred his heart to your heart, and then you, of course, returned and you shared that. And that's what you've talked a lot about before. It goes from heart to heart to heart. So, right? And Sharon, when she talked about trust as, a, as an important element, so, I mean, in my own experience, when I first met you at Mon in Montreal by the radio station, and you opened the door and let me in the house that you were staying in, I had never met you before. I had heard one talk that they sent to me. And you acted as if I was the only person that was existing on the planet and you paid me 100 billion percent attention, which nobody had done that before, right? And that engendered, that was the transfer in that moment. Now, of course, I realized that when I finally met Maharaji. But that was a moment of tremendous trust. And that's what I think uh, is a super important part of this process. It's happening here. Everybody is coming into this wonderful essence heart space. And there's a trust that's being passed, a, a sharing of the heart that's being passed on. Uh, that really manifests what you're saying. That's how, and you're talking about social action, that's how true social action happens, is the passing of that trusted heart space. Right? Yep. Yep. I want to convey to you, Maharaji, So that you can, you can get Maharaji as, as your own. I'm, I'm a perception without, he, he, He's in there, he's in here. And he's a, he's a, a fisherman. And I'm the lore. <laughs> and you're the fish. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
<laughs> Once in India, a group of us went a, a, a bus, the uh, the uh, uh, We were, we were um, the meditation course. <laughs> <laughs> this is the other thing I get teased about. Some of us did not get on the bus. <laughs> I wondered when it was going to come up. <laughs> so about 60 people of, of the meditation 60 people, and the, there was 22 of us uh, on the bus when I called. I wanted to find my guru, because he said he, he'd be there for me. In, in, I have, and I said, I said, I can't meditate all. I keep thinking of where is he? So I talked to the girl next to me. She said she had a friend who has a bus that goes beyond England to, to uh, India. You don't ask what what it's what's it what's in the floorboards. <laughs> and she said he he he'd like to go to Maharaja. So when twenty twenty two of us and the bus driver and we were planning to go to Delhi which where where we could get ice cream and all kinds of good 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 beds oh boy Oh boy. So that that was a straight straight road Delhi. And Danny Danny Goldman came up from the back. And he said, I, I see, I was the trip director. So Danny said, you know, we can go the, the, the right, the, the fork on the road, and take, take the right, and you'll go through uh, a special place. 
and he mentioned the name. I said, well, that's the, that's the place where the Kumbh Mela, where, where, where the, all the holy people gather. It's a confluence of two or three uh, rivers. And so it, 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 a thousand people. Thousand. Huh? Millions? Millions. <laughs> Millions. It's, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. So I said, we came to the Kumamela last two weeks ago. We don't, we don't want to go and see an empty field. I mean, if there's no people there. He said, it's a spiritual opportunity. This so he went back to the bus and Malachi back and the, the we of Nodisran we were ice cream, um, a holy place, ice cream, a holy place, ice cream, a holy place. <laughs> and we were, I was, God, there were 22 people. We were, we uh, Westerners on a spiritual journey. So we gotta go uh, right. The bus driver said, "You want to turn right and turn." Uh, I mean, which south, which way? Uh, here I am. Worrying, fearful, going to empty field. Oh, Jesus. Go right. The, the town. And then we come to a empty field and the two rivers are confluence. We start Danny says uh, there's a Hanuman temple over there. 
And so we decide to drive towards the Hanuman Temple. And we drive, and Ramesh Madas says, that's Maharaji. And he and Dada, which is Dada, is a, a, a friend of his a devotee. We touch his feet and stuff. He says, follow us. He said to Dada, they've come. The first trip to India, he said, don't tell anybody about me. And I come in with a busload of people. Punchline. What? The punchline, which is that Dada woke up everybody in the house. I mean, uh, Maharaji woke up everyone in the house in the morning and said, "Prepare lunch for twenty-three people, or however many they were—the exact amount of people that were on that bus, including the driver." And Ramdas thought he was making a decision about going to Delhi or going to the Sangam, where the rivers meet. And apparently, that wasn't quite the case, is the... Oh, right, left, uh, and all the time, he, 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 he expected us. Lunch for 20, 20, 22. And the driver. And the driver. So when you get into, oh, uh, uh, you just call upon Maharaji. The trust in the beloved, shall we say? Yes. <laughs> it could be taken as I can't find the word. Faith. Huh? Faith. Faith. Oh, that's Faith. right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Join us this summer for the Real Love Challenge. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalzberg.com. May all beings be happy.